Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Are You a Fan? If you like the episode, give us a like, share, follow, and uh, hey, you know what? Why don't you just put us on in the background? I think we're soothing as all get out. Okay, so this week, as always, question for my co-host and the audience. What's up? If you could be an Atlantean with all the pros and cons, would you? Honestly, yes. Because I love the water to begin with. And with the con of not being able to get in the get on land, I'm cool with that. I've seen our, our people and what we're doing to the land. I'll go I'll go still in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Also, I feel like it's not that big of a con because they can still go on land for an extended period. They just can't stay there. Yep, but like, I'm, I'm still cool with that. I mean, also, I feel as though you, you pick the right place to go live on land in that. <laughs> it's like, I thought you'd get dried out. It's like, man, we're in Missouri. I ain't drying out anytime soon. Or you pull the uh, you know, rules lawyer and go live on a sandbar. Yeah. That's going to be submerged most of the time anyways. Exactly. And it's not really quote-unquote land honestly i'd pick it too because being able to breathe underwater has been a childhood fantasy since uh, since forever for me oh heck yeah and that like yeah star wars when they introduced those little breathing things that was like i was like oh someday someday I'd love one of those right okay so folks that brings us into this week's character namor the submariner so let's get into it starting out with real world so Namor, also known as the Submariner, is a fictional character appearing in American comic books published by Marvel Comics. It was initially created for the unreleased comic motion picture Funnies Weekly. The character first appeared publicly in Marvel Comics issue number one, cover dated October of 1939, which was the first comic book from Timely Comics, the 1930s to 1940s predecessor of Marvel Comics. So he is definitely up there in age. Oh yeah. Also, arguably considered among, like, Marvel's first top, like, five characters. Great. Yeah. That. So, during that period, known to hi- historians and fans as the Golden Age of Comic Books, the Submariner was one of Timely's top three characters, along with Captain America and the original Human Torch. Moreover, Namor has also been described as the first comic book anti-hero. Which is correct if you know anything about the character, which we will be telling you about. Oh, yeah. But it's a really cool thing about that he's up there with being some of the more popular ones with, like, Captain America. Oh, right. He's been around long enough to be able to be worded like that. It's like, oh, man. Like, yeah, I'm excited to get into this character. (laughs) So, Namor was created by writer-artist Bill Everett. The character first appeared in April of 1939 in the prototype of planned giveaway comic titled motion picture funnies weekly it was produced by the comic book packager funnies inc the only eight samples among those created to send to theater owners were discovered in the estate of deceased publisher in 1974 the it blows my mind how wild the comic book industry was back in the day with just random like comic book companies trying to take things like right and then eventually now we're just like okay there's four comic book companies pretty much So, Everett stated that the inspiration for creating the character was Samuel Taylor Coleridge's poem, The Rim of the Ancient Mariner, in 1798, and came up with Namor by writing down noble-sounding names backwards and thought Roman slash uh, Namor looked the best. 
Actually, that's kind of cool. I love that's how he came up with the name, right? <laughs> Lenore's going to come up with, you know, fancy names and write them backwards now. I mean, for a, like, mythical ancient society and that, who's to say he's far off? Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> okay. So, in the Golden Age, in his first appearance, uh, Namor was an enemy of the United States. Comic historian uh, Les Daniels noted that Namor was a freak in the service of chaos. Although the Submariner acted like a villain, his cause had some justice, and readers leveled, uh, reveled in his assaults on civilization. His enthusiastic fans weren't offended by the carnage he created and wrecked as he wrecked everything from ships to skyscrapers. I mean, dude was fighting for nature. I say like, that when you're a fan of him. You don't usually care about the, the havoc they're wrecking, right? I mean, look at all of us being fans of the Avengers. How many cities have they essentially destroyed? Yeah. <laughs> most most superheroes in that. If you're a fan of them, it's like, it's like you know they've probably let some people die. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> so Everett's uh, anti-hero would eventually battle Carl Bur- Burgos' android superhero, the Human Torch. When in 1940, Namor threatened to sink the island of Manhattan underneath a tidal wave. Very, very classic old school, like, I will sink New... Man, New York, like, you gotta think in these superhero universes and that, that has to be, like, the worst place to live. Oh, yeah, I'd never live out there. Yeah, same. Or honestly, with the way comics go, any big city. Yeah, any major city I'd avoid. So, when the U.S. entered World War II, Namor would aid the Allies against Adolf Hitler and the Axis powers. Supporting characters included uh, Betty Dean, a New York City policewoman introduced in Marvel Mystery Comics issue number three, uh, was also later known as Betty uh, Dean Prentice, who was a steady companion in his cousins Namor and Dorma. Or Namora and Dorma. Hmm. Look at cool. Also makes that, like, I do love, like... When you get into the comic book history of certain characters, like the amount of characters that were just like anti, anti, like Nazis. Right. And that like, even to the point where Dracula was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll help. I'll help the allies. Which is so weird when you think about Dracula doing it. Right. Of all like villains. Like, okay. I mean, I guess it, it makes sense, but at the same time, it's still weird. Right? Honestly, I find it more funny. Go back and check our Dracula episode, because we explained why he got into it. And it wasn't for humanitarian reasons. Oh, God, no. It was completely selfish. Like, oh, you want to start something? Okay. I'll finish it. (laughs) In Universe Origins now. So in 1915, Winston Churchill would send Ernest Shackleton in search of vibranium in the Antarctic Shackleton's ship and endurance would be lost. Honestly, I'm loving learning about this because, as I've said, I've known about Namor. I know he's a Malbound, but he's never been a favorite character to where if somebody asked me a question, I could answer right. it. So, already, I'm having some questions answered for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, later, Leonard McKenzie with the telepath Paul Destin as a passenger would attempt to recover the vibranium. Princess Finn would be sent to investigate explosions near the surface by her father, Emperor Thakor? Thakor. That'd be my best guess. That's what we're going with. Names, man. Why we gotta be so complicated with them? 
So Mackenzie met and fell in love and impregnated Princess Fen with the child who became Namor. However, Atlantean soldiers came to retrieve Fen and attacked Mackenzie's crew. Leonard Mackenzie was believed dead by Fen following the attack, and she returned to Atlantis pregnant. Man, it's gotta be like weird, weird to come back, like go out there to like do some battle or meeting and that, and then just come back and be like, guess who's expecting? <laughs> right? Can you imagine the dad? All <laughs> right. I sent you out there to kill these these interlopers. I mean, yeah, but one was kind of cute. <laughs> so the child would be named Namor, which means avenging son. You know, kind of fitting. Yeah. Thinking the dad's dead. Uh, Namor would spend his boyhood taunting his cousin Dorma, who, as well as playing with his other cousins Namora and Byra, that's what I'm going with, as well as his friend Murano. God, Atlantean names are pain. Man, and that's a, just across the board. It, like, if you, like, I remember watching Young Justice when we got into the Atlantean stuff. Oh, God, like, yeah. oh my God. Just like, I'm glad to know it's consistent across the board. They're <laughs> like, we're just, we're going to make you work for these characters if you like them. <laughs> okay. Black Tide. During Namor's youth, he was a part of an Atlantean diplomatic mission to the seasonal capital of the uh, Chasm people? Chasm. Chasm Chasm people. That makes sense. The Oriki Reefs. Uh, Here he would encounter the prince of uh, the Chasm people, Atuma, for the first time. The two would initially develop a rivalry. Which, I mean, I feel is fair being from opposite kingdoms. Yeah. That, that's expected. It's just the question of whether that stays healthy or not. Right. So, but they, So they would set aside their differences and begin developing a friendship for the sake of peace between their peoples. Which is, you know, very adultish of them. Yeah, very honorable. And so to encourage diplomatic relations, Atuma, Namor, and Dorma were sent to accompany the Swift Tide, a multinational group of underwater heroes on a mission to recover the Unforgotten Stone, which was an eldritch artifact created by one of the great old ones. Was it Cthulhu? (laughs) (laughs) He's got all the tentacles to be like a great old one for the water. Right? (laughs) I mean, at this point, man, like some some of those ancient ones they got in Marvel Comics, who knows? So the mission, however, would end in a disaster when the Swift Tide were mutated into predatory monsters by the Unforgotten Stone Stone's power. Which, of course, an Eldric artifact. What else did you guys expect? Right? Like, I imagine, I would like to believe in that comic issue. It didn't act. It didn't activate until stupidly one of them touched it. Yep. Because that just sounds right. Oh yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, taking the name Black Tide, they would go on a rampage. First, they attacked the Oriki Reefs, killing everyone, including King Atukar, Atuma's father. Afterwards, they set sights on Atlantis. Ultimately, they were stopped thanks to Dorma mastering the Unforgotten Stone and sealing the members of the Black Tide. And of course, somebody's going to learn how to use it. Right? I mean, kind of goes with the territory. Oh man, though, just like so much chaos, so much chaos. It's just like, yeah, we found it, but maybe, maybe we should uh, experiment on it and like figure out some things about it before we go near it. Right. Okay, so blaming Atlantis for the destruction, Atuma left, breaking all hopes of negotiations. 
Which is fair when you think that his home was destroyed, but Atlantis ends up miraculously saved. Right. So I was like, I can see his his viewpoint on that. I can see it, and it's ultimately in moments like this I realize I couldn't be a like a henchman or in like a number two for a villain because I feel like I'd be the one to lay out the map and be like, well, sir, it kind of makes sense considering we're here, they were there, and to get to Atlantis they would have had to go through us. Right. I'm just saying, sir, maybe it wasn't Atlantis's fault that we got annihilated before they were able to form a defense. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I die. <laughs> okay, we're getting into World War II. Namor was later sent to New York after divers were found near Atlantis. So it would later be revealed that the divers would be Nazis. And Namor would join the superhero team, the Invaders, fighting in World War II alongside men such as Captain America and the Android Human Torch, in addition to his own solo missions. And later, uh, the All Winter Squad to oppose the Axis. So I like that he goes to New York because of these divers, just to find out they're from the Nazis. Like, oh yeah, we're going to go fight them. And ultimately, I think that was my problem with that. Like, why New York? Were they from New York? No, they weren't, apparently. Why did you go to New York? Well, maybe they were wearing something to kind of disguise themselves and not be Nazis. Oh, yeah, that could it's be. The only thing I can think of why he gets into New York. That, that'd be my best guess because I'm just like, I'm like, like you just find divers and assume they're from New York. Right. Which is also weird that you would assume New York and not several other places on the East Coast. That or makes you wonder if Atlantis is just closer to New York than anywhere else, so they assume. I'm not going to lie. I don't know its location on the, I don't either. <laughs> on the map, so that's a very valid point you just brought up. It's just the clothes. They just keep going. It's like, why do you keep showing up to New York? Well, you guys are literally the closest human city. <laughs> right. Which makes me wonder now if that's actually true. We, we might have to look that up at one point. Okay, so Namor would at times battle, then befriend, and... Uh, Democra uh, the Democratic Societies of the Service. The explanation for this was later discovered to be temporary insanity as a result of too much time spent away from the sea. For the most part, however, the Submariner set his sights on Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It'd be like if one of us just like went without oxygen for periods of time. Like, yeah. we're probably not going to be mentally stable. Not at all. I mean... We aren't right now anyways, but, you know. You think that point. might level us out? <laughs> or let's, make us let's worse? Let's not find out. <laughs> uh, so, the Atlanteans would become involved with the Axis-created Human Torch uh, duplicates of the Firebrand uh, Squadron. One Atlantean, his friend, Moreno, would become an Axis agent known as the U-Man. U-Man. That's gotta suck, though, knowing that you're fighting the Axis and you're one of your best friends ends up joining them. Oh, God, right? You gotta you got wonder how that conversation went down. Very curious. So, exile and return. After World War II, Namor would return to Atlantis. He was stopped by Atlantean soldiers led by Krang and uh, Byra, who during Namor's absence convinced the Corps to banish him. Hmm. That's, that's gotta be a rude awakening to come home to. Right, especially after spending years at war. Right? I'd be slapping some people around huh, if I was Namor. Oh, yeah. Which I just feel is not outside that guy's wheelhouse. Yeah, no, not at all. 
So during his first year after the exile, Namor would work with the reporter Betty Dean. He was also uh, he would also spend time living with Randall Peterson, an honorary invader, and helped raise his daughter Nay. Kind of cool that he he kind of spent some time with a, a member of his one of his units from World War Two. Yeah, that's nice. Also, you know, like because I think my big problem with most like versions of Atlanteans in Marvel or DC is like they have no interest in learning anything of the upper world. Yeah, most of the time they don't. They're just like, nope, that is the enemy of our people, and that's all we care about. Right. So I'm a, I'm a little glad to see he's kind of forced into that. Right. So during this time, he worked with all win, all the All Winners Squad, facing such enemies as Izbiza. Izbiza? That's what no idea. Okay, Izbiza. And uh, car, uh, card killers. They also stopped an attempt at the life of John F. Kennedy, a mission which cost the second Captain America his life. Oh. And in the long run, they would fail at saving him. So it was a, a futile uh, waste of death. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, in 1947, Namor would be called back to Atlantis uh, to attend Emperor Thakur's birthday celebration. However, when Namor reached Atlantis, he found not a party, but a scene of slaughter. However, Thakur managed to escape with only a slight wound. Makes you wonder. Right? (laughs) God dang it. Whenever we get into royalty family stuff, and that's like, it's like betrayals, massacres... Family drama. Right. Okay, another survivor of the slaughter was Namora, who informed Namor about the surprise attack of the gang led by a man called Stoop. Together, they pursued the perpetrators to the United States, where they localized them with the help of local law enforcement. Ultimately, they both re- remained in the service world, working together as crime fighters until 1949, Namor, Namor decided to permanently return to Atlantis. Which, you know, he he is kind of their rightful king, so... Yeah. Gotta go home eventually. One would think. Okay, so that's what we got for uh, his origin stories. Let's get into powers and abilities. Okay, so powers and abilities. He has been stated to be an alpha-level mutant. <clears throat> Which is funny, because if I remember correctly, those wing things on his ankles are his mutation. Yep. So, you're like, alpha-level. You just put him up there with the list, Gene Gray, Magneto, <laughs> Iceman, and then they just look over like, how's this guy alpha-level? Right. So, uh, uh, mutant all Atlantean physiology. Namor's powers come from his, uh, come from his being a unique hybrid of Atlantean Homo mermanus and mutant Homo superior physiologies. Oh man, a lot of science words in that sense. <laughs> yeah, they really were. Oh, I feel like I almost had an aneurysm trying to get through that. Okay, um, because of his uh, unusual genetic heritage, Namor is unique among both ordinary humans and Atlanteans. 
He is sometimes referred to as Marvel's first mutant because while the majority of his observed superhuman powers come from the fact that he's a hybrid of human and Atlantean DNA, his ability to fly can't be explained by either side as Atlanteans are an offshoot of baseline humanity. <clears throat> so yeah. Oh man, that was a tough one to get through. <laughs> that was entertaining. That was a lot of science. <laughs> Okay, so amphibious physiolo- uh, physiological adaptation. Man, <laughs> man, we're just... This, oh. is, this is just not the, the powers and abilities for you today. <laughs> this is not. This is not. So, okay, so Namor's body is specially developed for underwater conditions, granting him specialized blood circulation to withstand freezing temperatures and highly developed vision to see clearly even in murky ocean depths. This hybrid physiology means he can survive indefinitely underwater or on land, though he would still need occasional contact with water to survive. So just get a spray bottle. Just like I'm Namor, here to save you people. So you get like one of those uh like fan sprays you get for like the theme parks of Disney. Oh my god, I would love to see him just use that. <laughs> Or you remember those little like neck things that would like fill up with water and that just has one of those over his neck. Oh God. So superhuman strength, like all Atlanteans, Namor is superhumanly strong, but his physical strength is greater than that of any member of his superhuman race. The exact level of his strength is dependent upon his physical contact with water and his strength diminishes slowly the longer he is out of contact with it. Yeah, yeah, that that does make sense. So uh, he also <clears throat> he also has aquatic healing. If he is somehow injured, Namor's body can heal damage uh, damaged tissue faster and much more extensively than a human or most Atlanteans. Namor's accelerated healing is at its peak while he is immersed in water, but does diminish the longer he is out of contact with water. Or if he is completely dry. I do like how a lot of his stuff is very specific to it's better in water. Right. And just gets weaker when he's out of it and the longer he's out. And I would just like to throw out there, that doesn't mean it goes away, people. That just means it diminishes. I think if he's out there long enough, I think it would go away. I think it would eventually, but like at the beginning, because I remember that was a problem somebody brought up with Helen. Like, how'd she break the hammer when she wasn't in Asgard? It's like, they said she gets stronger when she gets near Asgard. Right. They didn't say she was just weak. Yep. <laughs> so, fi- uh, flight. Ah, here we get to the little Hermes ankles. <laughs> uh, Namor also possesses vestigial wings. On both of his ankles, which uh, by which he seems to fly at the speed of escape velocity when exerting himself fully. His flight speed at normal levels is enough to enable Namor to fly faster than military aircrafts. Since the wings by themselves could never carry Namor, it has been speculated that he uses the wings for steering and flies in some other manner, perhaps uh, by telekinesis. Yeah, because even they can't explain why he flies. (laughs) I do love, like... 
like the stubbornness of comic creators though <laughs> of them just being like hey guys why don't we just take his ankle wings and just throw them on his back and say that and they're like no no this is where they are this is where they've always been this is where they're gonna stay we will literally come up with any excuse for him being able to fly besides switching the wings. Or we're just not going to tell you and you get to figure that out yourself, right? I do I do enjoy the stubbornness of comic writers sometimes. Oh, yeah. So, Atmokinesis. Without the aid of his uh, trident, Namor is capable of manipulating uh, weather phenomena in a similar vein to Storm. Dude, this guy is like a beast with his power set. Right? Like it like you didn't I didn't think he'd be that this impressive, but dang, dude. He really is. It's surprising. Right? Hydrokinesis. Uh siphoning off the aqua base abilities of Hydroman gave Namor hydrokinetic powers. Huh. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> dang. I mean in that regard too, you got you got like dang. Dude, superhuman speed, agility, stamina, reflexes, durability, uh, radiation absorption, extended longevity, underwater breathing, aquatic telepathy, and electrokinesis. Electro. That's electrolocation. Electrolocation. Okay. I thought I was reading that wrong. Yeah, you were. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing new. Right. But he's definitely got a very wide range of powers. He really does. And he's a beast. And honestly, like some of these powers too, I did not realize he had. And honestly explains the clips from the new Wakanda movie I've seen. We still need to go see that. We do. Okay. So that's all. That's what we got for powers and abilities. Take us way into the other media, Joker. So mostly appears in some form of TV, which for the most part, is just cameos in one episode here and there. Yeah. So in the 50s, he was in a TV series. Uh, there was a TV series planned, but never went into production. In the 70s, they announced a Submariner TV pilot, but was never filmed due, due to a similarity to the short-lived Man from Atlantis. In 1966, Namor would have a segment in the animated series, The Marvel Superheroes. He would appear in two episodes of the Hanna-Barbera Fantastic Four. <laughs> Love the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Right. So, and, and then in 1981, Namor would appear in, a fr- in an episode of Spider-Man. He appears in a Fantastic Four episode in 19, uh, 1994. He also appears in the Avengers United They Stand. He appears in two episodes in 2006 of Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Heroes. And then he's also in the 2013 motion comic Inhumans. Hmm. Which I didn't even know about that one. Honestly, I don't know about half of his appearances. Dude, yeah, like a lot of these appearances, I'm like, my God, he has a lot more appearances than I would have thought. I mean, heck, about half of them are even before us. Yeah. Which, dang. Impressive. So, Tanaka Huerta makes the live-action debut of Namor in the 2022 MCU movie Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And then Michael Waldron, the writer of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, said there were talks of including Namor but it was dropped due to the Marvel Studios having other plans, which most likely was this movie. Yeah, it makes sense. Which, that's a, that's one thing I did want to bring up, like, because when I first saw, like, the previews for Wakanda and, like, seeing him, them, like, give him the Az- Aztec and Inca aesthetic, I was like, 
what the heck? Like, I thought he was white. I found out in the comics a few years, like quite a few years back, they did change the ethnicity of the character. Yep. Which is something like, as soon as I found out, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Because at first I'm like, boy, I thought he was like a white elf dude. <laughs> That's what you would think. Which you look at his original comic design, so you're like, that's exactly what he was. Yeah, white elf dude, dude with like little with Hermes wings. Yep. <laughs> Which yeah, the new design though, like especially seeing him in like previews to Wakanda Forever, I'm like, oh yeah, he definitely looks like a badass now. Oh yeah. Because originally it was hard to take the character seriously. It was just like uh, Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> When they did Aquaman's redesign, and then like they're like, "What if we took like what if we take this prancy character and made him a badass?" <laughs> and then Jason Momoa. <laughs> yep, it's kind of I feel like what they're doing with the water characters. They're like, "We're gonna make them cool." Yeah, because for so long they've just kind of been eh, especially Aquaman. Yeah, he always gets the short end of the stick. He does. I've always been an Aquaman fan though, which is. Yeah, but you're just a weird one, so you don't really count. True, I have. There are a lot of characters I like where people are like, "Why that character?" I'm like, "I don't know. This seems cool. I like him." Exactly. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess we'll ask the question we ask at the end of every episode. <laughs> the table there. I see that. I see that joke. Oh, uh, okay. Are you a fan? Honestly, much more of a fan now after learning about him. Because he was one I always knew of, but I never knew enough about him to really say yes or no. But now I know more. I was like, yes. And now I want to go find more comics of him. I'm not going to lie. Definitely more of a fan now, too, after researching him and seeing like the, this ver- newer version of him. Because originally, I always considered him kind of a pretentious character. Who just had a thing for um, Mrs. Uh, the Invisible Girl? Yeah, that was kind of what I knew him as. That makes sense. <laughs> like a pretentious dude who uh, wanted to bang Mr. Fantastic's wife. Nice. So yeah, I'm a fan of him now too. For anyone that's still listening, if you got something out of this, enjoyed the episode, or even liked the character before from a movie, comic, cartoon. Hell, even that t-shirt that you saw one time. You're a fan too. If you want to jump on this train, why not subscribe and share with a friend? Dick Rail out. Y'all keep riding them rails. <laughs>